Well, as we look forward to the fall, we're going to be starting in on the story on September 14th. Um, the story is a 31-week journey that we're going to be entering into where we go from Genesis to Revelation, and we were going to look at the full story of God. And so I'm excited about the opportunity that we're going to have to be in the Word together on a weekly basis going through Scripture. We're going to have these books available for you um, next week as we'll start having those out in the foyer. Um, so you'll be able to, to pick up your copy. Um, you can also buy a copy on Kindle or several of the different e-readers have a version if you prefer that method. Um, but we want to make sure that every household has one of these for the start in September. And so we're going to be rolling out more and more information as we go on what that looks like. We're going to be having some small groups available, new small groups starting up as well for you to join in and, and discuss and process and think through what it is that God is telling you through the story and how you fit into the story. It's not just an intellectual pursuit of the facts. It is a pursuit of the heart and how we are transformed by the word. And so it's going to be an exciting journey. And be praying about that. Be looking forward to, to getting more information about that and how you can participate through the small group experience. Um, I'm looking for a few new small group leaders. So if you have led in the past or you have a desire to lead, talk to me. We'd love to get a few more small groups started um, as, as we enter into this, this season of the story. So be looking out for, for more there. Well, we are kind of in between times right now as we prepare for the fall, and so we've been spending some time in Philippians. And so we're going to continue that. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And we're pretty much going to go through chapter 1 verse by verse, which is not my style at all, but we're going to do that today, and it's going to work out great. I don't know about you. How many of you follow current events? Are you following current events at all? Um, I, I kind of go through spurts where I follow really well and other times where I'm disconnected and, and lose sight of what's going on and then I come and start paying attention again and realize a lot has been happening. Um, and this is one of those weeks where a lot has been happening, um, really in, in the last several weeks, where, where things are not going as we might hope that they go. Um, we... We have stories of the Ebola outbreak in Africa. And close to home for us, we've got brothers and sisters who are working on the mission field there who have contracted that and are being treated for that. We have war going on in Israel and Gaza as they are launching rockets at each other. We have a situation in Iraq that continues to escalate where, where Christians and, and others are being persecuted and chased out of their homes and being fled all over the place. Specifically, I want to talk a little bit about Dr. Kent Brantley. Um, he is a missionary, an ACU graduate, uh, my age. We've got lots of mutual friends um, seeing his posts on Facebook or posts about him. If you have much of an ACU connection, you have probably seen those feeds um, coming through with, with mutual friends there. Kent Brantley is a missionary to Africa. Here's an Associated Press article about him and his work. 
One of the Ebola-stricken Americans recently airlifted out of Liberia says he's steadily recovering in an isolation unit at Emory University Hospital in Atlanta and is growing stronger every day. Dr. Kent Brantley, a 33-year-old father of two, broke his silence just this last Friday in a statement issued by the aid organization in which he works, Samaritan's Purse. I'm writing this update from my isolation room at Emory University Hospital, where the doctors and nurses are providing the very best care possible. He said, I'm growing stronger every day, and I thank God for his mercy as I have wrestled with this terrible disease. He recalled his harrowing work treating Ebola patients at a hospital in Liberia. I held the hands of countless individuals as this terrible disease took over their lives or took their lives away from them, he said. I've witnessed the horror firsthand, and I can still remember every face and name. Dr. Brantley who was working as the medical director for Samaritan's Purse, recalled the moment he realized that he had contracted the disease that has killed at least 961 people out of 1,779 cases reported. When I started feeling ill on that Wednesday morning, I immediately isolated myself until the test confirmed my diagnosis three days later. He said, when the result was positive, I remember a deep sense of peace. It was beyond understanding. He said his strong religious faith helped him deal with the diagnosis. And he thanked those who have prayed for him. Now it is two weeks later and I'm in a totally different setting, he said. My focus, however, remains the same to follow God. Brantley has two young children, ages three and five, and his wife, Amber. I remain hopeful and believing that Kent will be healed from this dreadful disease, Amber said in a statement last week, when her husband was listed in stable but grave condition in Liberia. She and the children who returned to the U.S. for a scheduled visit on July 20th, days before Dr. Brantley developed symptoms. The children and I are physically fine, Amber said. Dr. Brantley and his fellow infected aid worker, Nancy Wrightbull, are the first patients to receive doses of a highly experimental Ebola treatment developed by a San Diego-based MAP biopharmaceutical. The ZMAP serum is made inside the leaves of tobacco plants and showed promising results in tests on primates. Though Wrightbull and Brantley have shown early signs of success, they're still undergoing treatment and the therapy, therapy's overall toxicity and long-term effects are unknown. So we have a missionary who's in Africa who is serving the poor and serving the sick and, and working in humanitarian relief efforts. And now the disease that he has been trying to minister toward is now in his body. And the outcome is uncertain. In Iraq, we have a situation where a radical group has coming through and taking over and leaving a path of destruction. And just this last week, they got to the largest Christian community in Iraq. And the choices here were clear. You could convert 
You could pay a fine to leave, or you could be beheaded. And so depending on the news sources that you're looking at, the news sources have some pictures like this next one, people leaving their homes with with only what they can carry, being forced out of where they live. If you follow other news sources, you see images much more graphic for Family Sunday. Images of, of death and executions and beheadings and crucifixions as brothers and sisters are faced with a choice of what to do. So we have, we have Dr. Brantley facing death. We have brothers and sisters in Iraq facing death. And now the words of Paul become very real. As he speaks from a jail cell to this Philippian church, this church that he has such an affection for, such a love for, that we talked about last week. People that he is personally responsible for in their conversion, and and he is writing this letter to them. Paul is convinced of the good news of Jesus, and he stands firmly on his conviction that Jesus is who he says he is. And he writes this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Pause there. We have Paul writing from prison, and his response is not about the conditions that he's facing. His response is not about the emotions that he's feeling or about how he's being mistreated. His response is, look, the gospel is advancing. More and more people are hearing the good news of Jesus because of his circumstances, because of the condition that he finds himself in. The gospel is being advanced. The gospel is spreading. The whole palace guard is hearing this story of Jesus, hearing about who he is and what he's come to do. And because of Paul's chains, because of the situation that he finds himself in, more and more people are knowing Jesus. There is an opportunity in his circumstance. That regardless of the situation that he finds himself in, there is opportunity in that. And that is an attitude that catches on, an attitude that spreads. In verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. And so Paul finds himself in prison. He finds himself in a situation where the gospel is advancing. And what does that do to the other believers? It gives them confidence. It gives them courage. It gives them strength to continue to advance the gospel. It is not something that is demoralizing. It is not something that breaks them down. They do not go into hiding because of Paul's chains. They boldly step out and say, this is Jesus. 
that the chains that, that, that Paul is in is because of Christ. And there is a boldness in the believers because they see Paul as an example. They hear his story and are encouraged by it. They hear his story and are challenged by it. And there is such great confidence that comes from hearing the stories of other believers. To hear a story like Dr. Kent Brantley. To hear a story like the Iraqi Christians. To hear a story like Paul in prison for the sake of Christ should instill confidence in us. Confidence that we have a, a God who loves us. A God who is pursuing us. And even in the midst of these circumstances, there is great opportunity. Paul shares with the Philippians that there is nothing to be afraid of. That there is a boldness to be had, even in the midst of persecution, even in the face of death, confidence and strength and courage is what we're called to. In the circumstances that Paul finds himself in, he gives up all the things that we hold so dear. He, he gives up things like justice. It's not about whether or not he deserved to be there. He gives up things like security. He doesn't know what's coming next. Things that we hold so tightly to in our careers, things that we hold so tightly to in our families and our lifestyles, we want to hold on to justice and security. We want to be treated justly. We want others to be treated justly. We want to be secure in the things that we have built up for ourselves. We don't want those things taken away from us. But those are things that Paul gives up. Those are the things that Paul sacrifices. In verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this I rejoice. We have this situation here where Paul is now in prison, and now there's some sort of battle for control. That there are people trying to step up into his position of leadership. They're trying to come in and take over his authority. Whether for good reasons or bad reasons, they are coming in and now there is a power struggle. And so instead of Paul holding tightly on to the territory that he's created, holding on to the churches that he's built, instead of holding on to that, he releases that security. He, he releases the injustice that might be there. And he says, as long as Christ is preached, it really doesn't matter. What does it matter? It doesn't matter how Paul is treated. It doesn't matter who's imposing on his territory. It doesn't matter what is going on with him. As long as Christ is preached, as long as that is the focus, he really doesn't care. The sole purpose is to glorify Christ. To Paul, God and his good news through Jesus is of most importance. It's not Paul's will. It's not Paul's self-well-being. Self it is not anything about Paul. It is about Jesus being preached. And then he continues, Yes, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage 
so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. One short passage packed full of so much there, where Paul is is convinced in what he is doing. That regardless, if he, it, regardless of the path that he goes down, if he goes down this path of continued ministry or he goes down this path of execution or death, regardless of that pathway, he wants the courage to know that God is exalted through everything. That the message of Jesus comes through his body, whether living or dead whether the the ministry that he has as, as a living person or the ministry that he has in death, he wants Christ to be exalted. For him to live is Christ, but also to die, that's gain as well. That he finds himself in the situation where, where he looks at two alternatives, but he has a confession that overflows out of a tremendous conviction for who Jesus is. That out of that conviction, there is no uncertainty, there is no doubt, there is only courage, only strength, life or death, regardless of which direction, he will glorify Christ. And so I wonder how many of us can have some sort of confession like that. How many of us have a confession that is is so deeply rooted in our conviction of who Jesus is that we can say to live as Christ and to die as gain? That every part of our life is to glorify Christ. And death is not something that I fear. I think so many of us have confessions that we make but they're not rooted in as much conviction as what Paul has. That to be truly convicted of who Jesus is completely changes our confession. Our confession goes to an entirely different level when it is based on the true conviction of who Jesus really is. It's not a confession based on what our parents told us. It's not a confession based on our heritage. It's not a confession based on our history. It's not a confession based on some experience. It's a a confession that is deeply rooted in the conviction of Jesus and the cross. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And so for Paul, there are only those two choices, a life of ministry or in death. Both are eternal life with God. And both are glorifying Jesus. In verse 22, if I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? He doesn't know which one to choose. He doesn't know I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Paul knows that there is a greater day coming. Paul knows that there is an eternal existence with God. And who doesn't want that more than this messed up, broken life? 
But he knows that if he stays here, he has a ministry that is going to have an impact, a ministry that will, will bring transformation to others, that, that a ministry that this church in Philippi, they will continue to progress in their joy and in their faith. That they will be able to boast in Christ. That they will be able to celebrate Christ and glorify him because of the ministry that Paul is taking here. He knows that the churches that he has, he has planted will greatly be blessed by his presence and by his ministry. But regardless of the path that he takes, regardless of this choice of ministry or this, this death that is upon him, Paul calls the Philippian church to this. Whatever happens... Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, that regardless of, of whether or not Paul gets out of prison, regardless of whether or not he survives, whether or not his ministry continues, he wants the church to live and conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. That the message of Jesus is so deeply rooted in who we are that we live life accordingly that we will live the life that we're called to. Je Jesus comes, and as we talked about last week, forms a new community, a community that is built up of such a diverse group of people, people who have no business really being friends. And he brings them together, and there's this unity within the Spirit, and he builds this new community. And because of that Spirit, we don't need to be afraid. We can live the life, we can live the calling that he is, is, has on us because the Spirit comes and gives us the strength, gives us the courage, gives us the confidence that we need to move forward in that. And regardless of whatever happens, whatever trial we face, whatever struggle we go through, whatever happens, we are a called people. We are a people called out for something different and we're to conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of, of Jesus. We're called to a different place. We are called to a different life. And this looks like a life of love. It looks like a life of care for others. It's a life where we are brothers and sisters, even though we don't have the similar background that we think we need. It means that things are grace-filled. There's patience and mercy and gentleness and a spirit, and we're on spiritual journeys with one another. We all bring something unique to the table of Jesus. And it is in that that we conduct ourselves in a way worthy of Jesus. This is not an easy calling for our consumer culture where everything is polarized. If you read the comments and read the discussion that happens underneath these articles about the missionaries in Africa or even the situations in Iraq, and you start to read the comments from the left and the right and everybody in between, you see how polarized we are. That there is a great attack on what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. 
Living a life worthy of the gospel does not mean that we are perfect. It does not mean that we pretend to be perfect. But it is living a life that is fearless regardless of the situation that we find ourselves in. It's a confidence that comes from Christ. It's not in our own abilities. It's not in our own strengths. It, is, it comes from Jesus himself. And so we don't fear those who oppose us. Why? Paul continues, This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. So being opposed is a sign. It's a sign that we are living as Christ has called us to live. It's a sign that, that our opponents will face destruction. And, and in this, we're reminded of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, where we talk about the per persecution of others, or us being persecuted. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you or persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so what does it look like to live a life worthy of the gospel? Well, we see where Jesus ended up. We see the path that he went on, a path that led to a cross, a path that led to death, and that's the path that we're called to. We're called to something different. We're called to something greater. This morning on CNN's website, this was the, the front page, and you can see at the top the situation in Iraq is front and center. But down here in the corner, there is the debate over American missionaries, heroic or foolish. That's the headline right now. This missionary work, this, this call to be in Africa, is it heroic or is it foolish? This is what the blog article says there. It wasn't as if God's voice boomed through sun-parted clouds telling Kent Brantley to move his family to Liberia. Still, the, younger do the young doctor said the call was clear. It echoed through the congregation where he was raised, Southeastern Church of Christ in Indianapolis. Standing before the church community in July of 2013, months before he left for Africa, Brantley said he heard the call in the teachers who urged him to memorize scripture and the neighbors who funded his first mission trip years ago. He saw in his aunts and uncles who spent their vacations running Bible camps, organizing youth groups, and serving missions themselves in Africa. 
It may not seem like much, Brantley said in an emotional address to the Southeastern congregation, but when you connect the dots, you see a grand design that God has used to draw my life in a certain direction. For Brantley, that meant serving a two-year medical mission in Liberia with Samaritan's Purse, a Christian relief organization. But in a grim twist that garnered international headlines, the 33-year-old contracted Ebola while treating patients suffering from the deadly disease and was airlifted back to the United States. Brantley and his fellow missionary, Nancy Wrightbull, who was serving with SIM, another Christian, organi- Christian aid organization, are being treated for the disease at Emory University Hospital. After Liberia's outbreak began in March of 2013, Wrightbull volunteered as a hospital at a hospital where she disinfected doctors and nurses working with patients stricken by the disease. Despite their weakened health, their trust in God remains strong, family members said. Mom is tired from her travel but continues to fight the virus and strengthens her faith in her Redeemer, Jesus, said Jeremy Wrightbull, Nancy's son. On Friday, Brantley said that he felt a spiritual serenity even after learning of his diagnosis. I remember a deep, deep sense of peace that was beyond all understanding, he said. God was reminding me that what he had taught me years ago, that he will give me everything I need to be faithful to him. Though Brantley's wife and children had been in Liberia with him, they had returned to the United States when he became ill. In addition to the American missionaries, a Spanish priest who worked in Liberia has contracted Ebola, yet another victim of an outbreak that health officials describe as the largest and most complex in the history of the disease. As of Saturday, 961 people have died. Heroic or foolish, in the United States, much attention last week focused on the missionaries who knowingly put themselves in harm's way. Christians have long debated the effectiveness of missions, with some arguing that they can, at times, cause more harm than good, both to missionaries and the people they are trying to help. But rarely has this debate ranged as far afield of Christian circles or become as bitterly divided as it has since the American missionaries returned to the United States. Remember, this is coming off of the front page of CNN. Prominent Christians such as Robert Moeller and Russell Moore called Brantley and Wrightbull heroic. The missionaries knew the risks of contracting Ebola, but worked with patients, doctors, and nurses to try to contain the outbreak. On the other hand, real estate mogul Donald Trump tweeted that people who travel to foreign countries to help are great, but must suffer the consequences of their actions. He did not agree that they should be brought back for treatments. Conservative commentator Ann Coulter was even more unsympathetic, saying Brantley's health status has been downgraded to idiotic. Why did Dr. Brantley have to go to Africa, Coulter wrote? The very risk factor listed by the Mayo Clinic for Ebola, an an incurable disease with a 90% fatality rate, is travel to Africa. Nancy Wrightbull's husband, David, who remains in Liberia, answered the critics on Friday. Wrightbull said he knows that some think missionaries like his wife are foolish or worse to put everybody in danger by going to places like Liberia. But it's that very calling, he said, according to the Atlanta Journal. 
that demonstrates the characteristics, the great things that Christ has done for humanity. He left heaven and he came to a place of suffering and trouble and went about doing good. It goes on for several more pages talking about this debate of mission work. Why would somebody go to Africa and risk their life knowing good and well what those risks are? That they would step into that and put themselves into danger and put their families into danger and put the rest of us into danger. And so for some, commentary, for some commentator, for some pundit, for someone who doesn't get it, they say it's foolishness. And we look at Paul, stuck in chains, in a prison, thinking, you're just an idiot. The gospel of Jesus is a calling on each and every one of us that is far greater than we can even imagine. And it calls us into something as foolish as moving to a dangerous place because of the call of Jesus. And so Paul tells us to take courage, to live a life worthy of this calling, that what we have been called to is something far greater than just showing up to church on Sunday. Some, some marginal Christianity, some marginal faith where, where it's just on the outskirts of our reality. Paul calls us in and says, Christ is everything. Everything. And it is a simple message. It's a simple message. Take up your cross and follow me. But it is not an easy one. It is not an easy one at all. And so as we finish our time here this morning, I want you to think about how you are doing. How are you doing with this call? And fearlessly face that question. Really look at that question. How am I doing with, with the call that, that God has put on my life? What needs to change? What am I holding on to? What do I need to sacrifice? What do I need to give up? Because he places this call on our lives and he is speaking to us and sometimes even screaming to us, calling us to go to a different place. Calling us into a life of self-sacrifice. And so face that question. And press on into that question. Knowing that Jesus loves you. That he is in pursuit of you. And he longs to have more of you. Let's be standing. We want to press into that question of God, what are you calling me to? We've been saying this for, for almost a year now. Where God, what do you want to do through me? God, what do you want to do through me? Because that is a question that is, is more than just something like, do you want me to put a check in the plates? That is a question so much bigger. God, what do you want to do through me?
Kent Brantley was sitting in the pews listening to that question, hearing the call of God to go to Africa. And he was faithful to that call. What is he calling you to? We're going to spend some time in prayer. And I encourage you to pray with one another and share with one another. What is God putting on your heart? Don't keep that to yourself. Share that with somebody. We're going to have shepherds down front. We'll we'll be here to, to pray with you and pray with one another. If the thing that Jesus is calling you to is to confess him as Lord, that's step number one. And we want to do that with you this morning through baptism. However God is prompting you, I want you to be faithful to that right now as we pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time. I thank you for, for these powerful words from Paul. And, and God, just thank you um, for even the world events around us that connect with this message so well. That we can take courage from these stories. That we can be confident in you. That, that, that the foolishness of the cross will be made known through us. God, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his love for us and his pursuit of us. It's in his name we pray, amen.